Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Baptisms are some of my favorite times as a pastor because there's there's no time in, in church life, in kingdom life, where you can see the kingdom of God advancing in a tangible way, like in a baptism. You see someone that is declaring that, hey, the old is gone and the new has come. One of the most memorable baptisms for me, I've been pastoring now for about 14 years, so I've baptized a lot of people. Uh, and one of the most memorable times, we were, I was pastoring up in the state of Maine, and in Maine in the winter, you don't do baptisms outside. We use the YMCA pool where it's heated and indoors. And we were all gathered right before the baptism, and a couple weeks prior to that, there was a young man who came from a really tough background, tough environment, who had given his life to Christ. And he decided to be water baptized, and so he came, and I was talking with him in the lobby, and then he turned and he introduced me to a friend that he had brought with him. And the friend had clearly uh, had a tough night. He was very intoxicated. And we're standing in the middle of the lobby prior to the baptism. And this young man uh, kind of stumbles out that he would like to be baptized. So as a pastor, I had a decision to make. I'm around all these people. I can probably just kind of go along with this and baptize this young man, or maybe get into some sort of an altercation in the middle of a church baptism. And so I did probably what you would have done. I'm like, great, let's do this. Let's baptize you. And, and we'll just kind of get through this the best we can. So the young man got changed. He, he came in, we went through the baptism. I baptized him. Uh, and kind of we went on with our night. And I thought, well, we, we got through that without much incident. Well, the following Sunday, I'm walking through the lobby and this young man comes up to me and I'm like, man, I think I recognize this guy. And I look and it's this man that I had baptized and he looked totally different. I mean, he was, he was clean cut. He was excited. And he walked up to me and said, Pastor Matt, you're never going to believe what happened. He said, obviously I wasn't in a good place <laughs> the day that I got baptized. And I went home that night and God began to speak to me and I gave my life to Christ and, and everything has changed. And he's just going on and on about this life change. And then uh, you fast forward a couple years, I had moved to Texas, I was back in Maine visiting, and I'm walking through the lobby of the church, and this guy comes up to me with his wife, who's expecting, and he's telling me the story that this is the gal that, that he had been dating or living with when he got baptized, and they were married, and they were expecting a child, and he was in Bible school to become a pastor. And man, I can't think of a better baptism story than that one right there. And it occurs to me that we love dramatic stories of salvation. We love them because I think it reminds us all of what our God is capable of, that he can take anybody from any situation, from any background, in any circumstance, and, and make a new creation out of them when they surrender their life to Christ. But here's the reality, and here's what I wanna talk about today, that there's a tension sometimes between being a new creation and being in process. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That is the truth of salvation. The truth of salvation is that the old is gone and the new has come. But am I the only one that, that feels the tension? Are we all new? Every part of us made new? 
What about the parts of us that struggle? What about the parts of us that don't, maybe we want other people to know about? What about the parts physically that we deal with illnesses and sicknesses and death? What does Paul mean when he says that we are a new creation? As a pastor, I work with people all the time and I sit with people in my office and, and they tell me typically when they come to my office, it's not because they're having their best day. And, and they're coming in and they're talking about brokenness and pain and, and anger and frustration and, and things that have happened to them and things that they've done. And these are good Christian people who are in the midst of a process, who are struggling. And you might have heard someone say in the past, aren't Christians supposed to have it all together? Like, aren't we the ones that are supposed to have it all figured out and have it all put together and be perfect? But obviously, there's a tension there. Obviously, there's, uh, there's a process that's happening. And we see it all through scripture. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, we see the, the Apostle Paul was named Saul and he was killing Christians. There doesn't, you can't get more anti-Christian than killing Christians, right? And the Apostle Paul is walking down a road to the city of Damascus and Jesus shows up and he surrenders his life to Christ and immediately he is made new. He is a new creation. In fact, a couple days later in Acts chapter nine, we see him in the temple preaching and everyone's like, wait a second. The Bible says people were astonished. Yeah. Isn't this the guy that just a few days ago was killing Christians and now he's in the temple and there's this dramatic conversion. But fast forward about 24 years and the apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church that he had started in the city of Rome. And he writes these words in Romans chapter seven, verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil that I want to do, this I keep on doing. Anybody relate with that? I was 16 years old when I gave my life to Jesus. And, and prior to that, it, you know, I was young, but I was headed in a trajectory and dabbling with things that wanted to consume my life. And when I got saved, it was a dramatic salvation. I, I remember the day after I got saved, I called the girl that I had been dating and I said, we gotta get together, tell you, gotta tell you what happened to me at church. And for about an hour, I just told her about the life change and what God had done for me. And that was the very last time I ever spoke to her again. <laughs> but it was dramatic. My friends at school, I showed up the next year and, and they didn't know what to make of me. But how many of you know I was 16 and I had some issues, right? that there was a process, we love that story, we love the new creation story, but there's a process that happens after we become saved and it has nothing to do with whether or not we're a new creation, it has to do with the fact that we're in progress. And so here's what's really happening when we bump into this tension. You have to understand that you are three parts. You are spirit, soul, and body. And I can show this to you in scripture. In Genesis chapter two in the creation story, verse seven, it says, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. The Lord formed him from the dust, that's his body. He breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. That word breath literally means spirit. And he became a living soul, body, spirit, soul. You even see it in the person of Jesus. Uh, in, the, in the Easter story, Jesus, of course, 
His body was killed on a cross. His body was buried. Uh, in Acts chapter two, it says, you will not, it says of Jesus, you will not leave my soul in Hades. And he said on the cross, into your hands, I commit my spirit, body, soul, and spirit. Are you with me? We're gonna go a little bit deeper. I want, stay with me. Our spirits were created to relate to God. Our bodies were created to relate with creation. We climb mountains, we swim in lakes, right? Our souls were created to relate with God and creation. So what is our souls? Our soul is simply our mind, our will, and our emotion. The way we think, the way we feel, and what we want. That's, that's what makes up our souls, and that part of us was meant to relate with God and creation. But here's what happened. Here's where everything went wrong for you and I. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did God say would happen when they ate of the tree? Surely they would die. Well, their bodies didn't die, and their souls didn't die. They still felt things. They still uh, had a mind. They still desired things. So what died? Their spirit died. Their spirit died and was separated from God. And, and what that did was it, it meant that everyone that came after was born with a dead spirit. And when we are born again, our spirit is made alive. And so the, the, the three parts of us, spirit, soul, and body, we have to understand what happens to us at salvation. Our spirits, number one, are made whole in a finished work of grace that you and I can't add anything to or take anything away from. We are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We were dead and now we are alive in Christ Jesus. It says in Ephesians chapter two, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Our spirits are made whole. Our souls are in the process of being made whole in what's called a progressive work of grace. How many of you know we are in progress? We are in progress and our bodies will be made whole in a future work of grace. And until then, a little at a time, things are breaking down. Is anybody with me on that? But there will come a day where he'll give us a new body. And so we see Paul, who in 2 Corinthians said, I'm a new creation. And in Romans said, man, I, there's things about me that I just, I don't like. Things that I do that I wish I didn't do, both are true. Because our spirits are made alive and our souls are in progress. And so when you and I run into areas of our life where we're like, man, I need some change here. I need, I need, there's things that I just don't like. There's things that there's strongholds that I need to be, that need to be broken. There's areas of my heart that need healing. There's hope, but we got to understand that we have responsibility in the progress. And so what is our responsibility? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Luke chapter 13, verse six, Jesus tells a parable. He told parables to illustrate a point that he was trying to make. And in this parable, it says this. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. 
The owner of the tree has been going back to this tree year after year, and every year there's no fruit. So he's not only disappointed, he's furious, and he tells the tender of the tree, just cut it down. How many times in our life do we walk up to areas of our life, the tree, and, and look for fruit, and we're like, man, I don't know why I can't have fruit in this area of my life. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's uh, issues of sin in our life. Maybe it's uh, issues of disappointment or frustration. But we walk up and we say, man, I should be further along. This tree should be producing fruit. I should be, I should be able to expect something in this area of my life. And we want to quit and we want to give up. We want to just, you know what? Forget it. Just cut the tree down. But the tender of the tree says, whoa, 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 give me some time. Turn to your neighbor and say, give me some time. Give me some time. He says, give it a year. Let's, let's do some things. There's some things that we can do, some steps that we can take to see fruit, but you just have to give me some time. The title of my message today is give me some time. I almost titled it the process of change because there's a process that we go through that is laid out in this parable that I want us to pay attention to. And the first step is this, we need to kill what is killing our soul. We need to kill what is killing our soul. What did the tender of the tree say? He said, you need to dig around it. Why would he do that? Because there was soil around the tree that wasn't helpful. It didn't have nutrients in it. It wasn't good soil for your soul is selfish. In fact, the word soul means self. To be soulish is to be selfish. Our souls are selfish. What we want, what we think, and what we desire left to our own, own device. My wife one day, and he said to her, Mom, do you know that God has, is in control of me? And my wife, you know, beaming with pride, oh, my son. So my four-year-old son, he gets it, you know, he gets it. And so she said, that's so good, buddy. And he paused and he said, except for my mouth, I'm still in charge of that. But the truth is, we all kind of do that. God, you're in control of me, except for this over here. I I'm still in charge of that. There's, there's our soul left to its own devices is selfish. And in the culture in which we live, it doesn't make it easy because our culture almost idolizes what we think, what we want, and what we feel. It idolizes it. And it, it we say things like this. We say things like, believe in yourself. Follow your heart. Go with your gut. Where there's a will, there's a way. Whatever makes you happy. I mean, we, we hear these things, we say these things, but what is, that act, what is the gospel of that? That gospel is I am the ultimate end and what I want and what I feel and what I desire is what I should follow. Church, how many times, maybe just here, maybe if you're watching online, could you raise your hand and go, when I followed that, it led to regret. When I followed that, it did not lead to growth. It did not lead to life change. We have to kill the areas of our life that are not producing the nutrients that we need. We need to kill what is killing our soul. You may have heard it said that you got to unlearn some things before you can learn some things. A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was tossing the football with my kids and my a uh, couple of friends and my friend Jerry was there. Jerry, we uh, shared a testimony video last week uh, from he and his wife, and he was a pitcher for the San Diego Padres. And the man knows how to throw. He knows how to throw a football and he knows how to throw a baseball. Well, after about three times of me throwing, he pulled me aside and basically told me I didn't know how to throw. So 
which is fine. I'm working through that. Uh, but I, but I guess I, my arm was too far out and I was losing power or he was kind of explaining it to me. And if I tucked my, my arm closer to my ear and kind of threw that it would have more zips. So I, I went to work on that and I'm, you know, trying not to kill my kids while I'm throwing the ball as hard as I can at them with this new technique. But I'm telling you, one lesson from Jerry and all of a sudden that, that football had a little more zip to it. In fact, he kept going, who's the new guy? You know, because it looked like a totally different throw. Some, sometimes we got to unlearn the old way of doing things so that we can learn. But here's the reality. Uh, yesterday, I was at the park with my boys playing football. And about halfway through, I realized, oh, shoot, I'm still throwing the old way. For 20 years or however long for me, it was 16 years, my soul was in charge. My soul was leading the way. And when I gave my life to Jesus, my spirit was made alive. My spirit was made new. And my spirit needs to take control and lead me in the direction that I should go. But how many of you know my soul does not give up without a fight? When somebody cuts me off in traffic, my spirit says, Matt, you know, you just benefit of the doubt and bless their heart. And, you know, I'm sure everything is great. But my soul wants to get right up on their bumper and honk my horn and yell things out the window about their character and integrity, right? Our soul doesn't give up without a fight. We have to understand that our soul is selfish. We have to kill in our souls what's killing us. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter eight. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Listen to this. Because those that are led by the spirit of God, those are the sons of God. Christian maturity is learning how to kill our desires, our thoughts in exchange for what the spirit desires and his thoughts and his desires and his way of feeling. Jesus said it this way, and this isn't any more fun. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I hate that he put the word daily in there, right? We just want to come to the cross one time. But the truth is we have to come to the cross and die to our flesh daily and allow Christ to live through us. But that's not the last step. Remember, it's all about the soil. So once we've, once we've taken all the bad soil out, we have to nourish our soul. Step two is nourish our soul, the tender of the tree said, you gotta, let me put some fertilizer around it. Let me put it in an environment where there are nutrients designed for it to grow. What are those nutrients for you and me? We have to nourish our soul with his word. Psalm 63 says, oh God, you are my God. Early I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Your soul is thirsty. Your soul is thirsty. We need to nourish our souls with the word of God. I love this verse in the book of Hebrews. In light of everything that we've been talking about, see what the author of Hebrews says in chapter four. For the word of God is living and powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing Watch this, even to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is the only thing that can divide between our soul and our spirit. 
The word of God, I mean, we could, plant, we could plant here and talk about this for hours. The word of God is like a mirror that reflects back. And when we go into the word of God and we don't just read it, but we allow it to read us, it will reflect back the areas of our soul that were selfish. It will reflect back the ideal way that God wants us to think, how he wants us to feel, and, and how he wants us to desire. The word of God is the, is the nutrient is the fertilizer that our soul needs. I don't know about you, we, you, but I can't go very long without food. After about three or four hours, I start to get what my wife calls hangry, right? Because our bodies are designed to crave food. It's natural, it's normal. Well, our souls are designed to crave food. And I would suggest that you ought not go longer without the word of God than you would go without food. That, that our souls, it, the word of God is the nutrients in which our souls can thrive. And the second thing I believe we need to nourish our souls with is the presence of God. The presence of God. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, you will show me the path of life. In fact, Pastor Leland quoted this in worship. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What are most people on the, on, on the search for? Joy and pleasure. And what does the Bible, what does the word of God say? We, where will we find that? It's in his presence that there's the fullness of joy. It's in his presence at his right hand where there's pleasures forevermore. David said in Psalm 23, which is a very familiar passage of scripture to all of us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. There's been times in my life when I've been tired, but it's not just physically, where my soul has been tired. Does anybody else ever feel that way? Where do we go when our soul needs to be refreshed and renewed? We need to go into his presence. And so how do we do that? Well, David says it a little bit later in the book of, of Psalms. We enter his gates or we come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We enter his presence with praise, with thanksgiving, with worship. It's through worship that we put ourselves in an environment where we're being nourished, where our souls are being nourished, where our, where our spirits come alive through worship. Paul says it in Colossians chapter three, verse one through three, it says, since then, you have been raised with Christ. That's true, right? You are a new creation. You've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, what you feel and what you want, on things above. That's worship. When we set our hearts, our desires, what we want, and we set it on things above. He says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, how you think, on things above. That's worship. Not only on earthly things. Why? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I have never met someone who is spiritually strong and in the process of growing that isn't a person of the word of God and the presence of God. There's probably dozens of other ways that you can nourish the soil of your life. But those two cannot be missing in the life of a growing believer. When we bump into things in our life, when we feel that tension, like, man, there's just some things in my life that I don't like, we need to 
dig around it, and then we need to nourish our soul with the word of God and the presence of God. But that's not all that the tender of the tree said, right? Because if you look at the passage, he says, give me some time. He says, hey, we're gonna give this a year. We're gonna give this a year. Why? Because change doesn't happen all at once. Change doesn't happen all at once. This, this week, my wife and I decided that we were gonna start eating healthier, right? And we waited until after Tuesday night because uh, our hosts were making lasagna on Tuesday night at our small group. And so we couldn't start eating healthy then because I knew that they were also probably gonna have some good dessert. But on Wednesday, we decided that we were gonna start eating healthy. And when, I don't know if this happens to you, but when you change what you've been eating, your body begins to fight against you. And you get, I get sugar headaches or, or I get hangry, whatever the case may be, and, and I don't like it. Our bodies don't like it. But how ridiculous would it have been if on Thursday night or, or, or Thursday morning when I woke up, after 24 hours of eating healthy, I stood on the scale and I said, why have I not lost 20 pounds? This is absolutely, forget it. You know what? Forget it. I'm not even gonna bother, because if I can't lose 20 pounds in a day, then why even bother? <laughs> but how many of us, maybe it's New Year's, maybe it's some, something going on in our life, we go to the Word of God, we go to the presence of God, and the next week we're like, man, why am I still dealing with this thing? I mean, I've been reading my Bible for nearly a week. <laughs> it's just as ridiculous, why? He's, the tender of the tree said, hey, give me a year because there's something that's gonna have to happen with the nourishment in the soil. It's gonna have to get down to the roots. It's gonna have to soak in and come up through the tree and get out to the leaves. And then if you give that a season, if you'll spend a season in my word, if you'll spend a season in my presence, what I can promise you is that without even trying, that tree doesn't have to work hard to bear fruit. That tree doesn't have to strive to bear fruit. If you put it in the right soil and you give it some time, fruit will appear. It's the way God created you. It's the way God created me. But we've got to give it some time. Time alone, however, doesn't heal all wounds. We hear people say, time alone heals all wounds, but that's not true. We know plenty of people who go through life and they're stuck emotionally or stuck spiritually, and time isn't what's gonna heal it. When I was in sixth grade, I broke my leg playing soccer. I decided that I was gonna slide tackle this guy that was about five times bigger than me, and he kicked me and broke my shin bone. And when I went to the emergency room and got the x-rays, the bone was displaced. It, it wasn't lined up. And if the doctor in that moment had said to me, you know what, you just need to give it some time. Just go home, lay down in bed, just give it some time. I don't think myself or my parents would have been very happy with that diagnosis or with that treatment plan. No, what did he do? He aligned some things. He put it in an environment where it could heal, right? A cast from my toe to my hip. And then I had to give it some time. There was no way around it. It's it takes time but it's not just time. We gotta dig around it, we gotta nourish it, and then we have to give it some time. Guys, this is really simple. This isn't really deep, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Death to self plus a nourished soul plus time equals growth. 
And when you, when you find yourself from this point forward, any time in life where you start to feel that tension, man, I thought I was a new creation. I thought I, I should be, I should, shouldn't I? I want you to remember, hey, you know what? I, I probably need to dig around it a little bit. There's probably areas of selfishness that are causing me to be unable to grow, unable to produce fruit. And I need to get into the word and I need to get into the presence of God. And I need to do that over and over and over again. I'll close with a story. When I was about six or seven years ago, I was going to go back to school to finish my degree at the King's University. And it was right around the same time that my wife and I and our family moved to the Fort, the Fort Worth area. And so I was able to go to in-person classes at the Kings and I started to get to know some of the students, but I was a lot older than most of the students that, you know, these 18, 19, 20 year olds coming out of high school, going through seminary. And so, but you know, our minds never get young. And so when they asked me to go play ultimate Frisbee, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I would love to do that. That sounds like a, a phenomenal idea, except that I didn't even know what ultimate Frisbee was. I'd never played it, but I've thrown a Frisbee before. So how hard could it be? Well, I came to realize that Ultimate Frisbee is a lot like a football game, tons of running. And, and so it's a Saturday morning, I get up early and I go outside, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt and it is one of those blustery, windy, freezing cold North Texas days. And so I'm like, well, I'm gonna have to stop at Walmart or something on my way. So I stopped, I got a sweatshirt and some wind pants cause I didn't want to freeze. And I show up and we begin practicing and you know, I was trying to throw a Frisbee as best as I could. Well, in the first half, we start going in, you know, you go one direction and then at halftime, you switch directions. In the first half, we're going the direction where the wind was coming from behind us. And let me tell you, I was amazing. I mean, I'm throwing that Frisbee and it's going exactly where I want it to go. It's going for miles. I mean, it would be like, this guy clearly is a professional Frisbee thrower, player, whatever you call professional Frisbeers. And, and I felt really cocky in, in halftime. I'm like, man, our team is winning. We're up by a couple of touchdowns, if that's what you call them. And, and, and then halftime, we have to switch sides. We have to switch fields and the wind's going in our face. But at this point, it doesn't even matter because I mean, I'm so good at ultimate Frisbee. Nothing could get in my way until the first time I tried throwing a Frisbee into the wind and it just like sails back. And I mean, I can't throw it five feet to the person. I don't think I made one completed Frisbee pass in the second half. Our team got obliterated and I left kind of being humbled, realizing, you know, ultimate Frisbee probably isn't what I want to, you know, do as a career. But I learned some things and I learned that I looked a lot better with the wind in my back. And what I want to say is that when we cooperate with the way that God designed us in a progressive work of grace, his grace makes us look so much better than we really are. And when we put ourselves in this environment that we're talking about today, it's like playing with the wind at our backs. It's like every, we just walk in the grace of God. Does it mean that life is perfect? No. Does it mean that we don't have struggles? No, but I'm telling you, you will look better with his grace than going against the headwind in pride and in arrogance. God's grace wants to do a work on the inside of us. It's not about trying harder. It's about putting ourselves in an environment where we could grow. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want us to ask the question that we ask every single week. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today? 
Are there areas of your life that, that this resonated with that you feel like, man, I need to dig around this. I need, to, I need the Holy Spirit to, to come in and, and take out my will, my mind, my emotions. Are there areas where you need nourishment, where you feel hungry in your soul, thirsty in your soul, and the Holy Spirit may be saying to you, give me some time. Give me some time in my word, time in my presence. Maybe you need to be more patient with yourself. Let me just pray for you today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd begin speaking into every heart and every mind, every person here in this room, every person watching online. You are a good father, gracious, rich in mercy and love. And God, you made us new creations. When you saved us, it was a complete work of grace. Father, for all of those areas that we need to submit to you, we come to you today. And we submit areas of our heart, of our mind, of our soul. And we say, Lord, would you take control in the mighty name of Jesus Christ? Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet as we do every single week? We're gonna go back into one more song of worship and we're gonna worship the Lord and allow him to continue to speak into our hearts. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.